Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Robots Radio presents The Cyberpunk Lorecast Welcome to the Cyberpunk Lorecast Where style is just as important as substance Welcome to the podcast where we explore the lore, news, and gameplay of the cyberpunk games And other dystopian worlds I'm your host, Robots Cyberpunks, welcome back to another episode of the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This is your host, Tom or Robots, and I am back as usual with the good old Captain of the Sea, Captain Logan, the Captain of the Cyber Sea, and the real yep. sea, and the Seas of Cheese. What's up? What's always, up, Captain Logan? Always like three steps further. You're <laughs> That's how it goes. I'm I'm good with just the captain of the seas of thieves. I'm I'm okay with that. But other than that, I'm I'm doing really good. I I was attempting to watch the movie we're going to be talking about just before we started the the podcast, and then life happened, uh, and you know there it is. So you I didn't actually didn't finish a chance it? to you didn't finish. I, it? I well, I've seen it like five or six times okay. already, but All I right. wanted to get like a fresh a fresh viewing uh-huh. like right before we watched. Um, and I got through probably 80% of it. And I was like, Oh man, I was really, I wanted to just sit down and just like focus in on that. Yeah. And it didn't, it didn't happen. And I was kind of bummed out cause I was, it's just such a, it's such a, a good movie to just kind of like really focus in on, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, you just kind of, you brought it up. So this episode <laughs> we are we are discussing we've we've been kind of on a movie binge. We've been talking about the influences on Cyberpunk 2077 when it comes to movies and, and you know, the genre the genre at large. And Blade Runner was of course a big influence on the Cyberpunk genre. And there wasn't just one Blade Runner movie. There was the sequel which came out a few years back called Blade Runner 2049. And it was time for us to check that movie out again. I saw it a few years ago uh, after it came out and took a look at it as well. And so we're going to be talking this episode about Blade Runner 2049. Does it hold up? How does it compare to the original? How cyberpunk is it? And how does it relate to cyberpunk 2077? So we'll be we'll be covering that in a little bit. But before we get to that, there has been some new news for cyberpunk 2077 that we need to cover before we move on to some movie talk. So what do we have this week to talk about in the space of some news for the video game? Uh, so 
Thanks to IGN, uh, Joe Scribbles put up a report after a uh, announcement during an investor's call. We just got the last quarter investment call from CDPR, and uh, they said that that both Cyberpunk and Witcher 3 are due out uh, to receive a next-gen console upgrade during the late 2021, uh, something that CD Project, uh, or CD Project uh, reconfirmed during this last financial report uh, during an H1 2021 earnings live stream, an investor asked the company to be more specific about when those next gen upgrades would arrive or if they would, could feasibly be delayed into next year. Uh, the senior vice president of business development, Michael uh, Nowakowski, refused to be drawn on the questions, making clear that it was part of CG Project's new philosophy, quote unquote, our target is to release the next gen version of Cyberpunk 2077 late this year. At the same time, keeping in mind that lesson, the lessons we have learned during the past year and taking into account the fact that this project still remains in development. We can't say with full certainty that the production schedule will not change, of course. And with The Witcher 3, the situation is slightly different in a way that this is being tackled by the team, uh, by the external team mainly, which is Saber Interactive. The company we have worked with uh, before on the Switch and also the updates in the past. As with Cyberpunk 2077, our goal is to release that game still in late 2021. However, similarly, the development process is ongoing and we cannot be absolutely certain that the release schedule will not change. But for the time being, we are definitely aiming with both titles for late 2021. And I don't want to be more specific at the time or at this moment in time, end quote. So, so uh i know you have some feelings about this (laughs) you and i've every time there's a there's a new piece of news there's something that comes out you and i kind of chat about it a little bit and this has been kind of an ongoing thing you've got some feelings here i'm yeah i'm just gonna i'm gonna give you the stage (laughs) how how do you feel logan um i want them to be I, i want them to under promise and over deliver I, I don't I, I understand that they have to hit uh, stockholders um, expectations and that they want to show that there's going to be something big coming from the company in the fourth quarter. That being said, it, it's it's a lie. This is a lie. It, I, I don't at, at any point believe that they are going to hit 2021 for their next gen console release I, I really really don't and i would honestly i would be better I, I feel like i would i would feel better as a consumer looking to see where cyberpunk goes if they just said that they are targeting for spring 2022 and that way if it comes out february 2022 everyone's going to be like oh wow well that's awesome i hope they i hope they manage to 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 get everything in and if they don't then they still have some breather room to say like, hey, you know, we, we were targeting spring, we're going to need that full time instead of coming in at the end of November, December and saying, we've been working really hard on this. Uh, we're not where we wanted to be and we're going to have to push it out until spring of 2022. Like, don't don't get me to that next step where you're just going to tell me that it's already going to be pushed out because at this point they've delayed this game from launch four times from when they initially announced announced the game and now they are promising a next gen game they've been sticking to this coming out in 2021 story 
we just barely got 1.3, which was a big update. It brought the game to a really good state, but there were still a lot of things that they need to do. And they were just talking about getting the foundation set so they can start to actually implement some of the big changes that they want to do with some of the big updates. Well, that's great, but I don't feel like these guys really have a strong handle on how to build a game during a pandemic where they're going to be able to manage their time properly. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I want to hear is they're working hard on getting it out next gen versions for 2021 and they're going to have to crunch again because it's the exact same thing that they ran into a year ago. And they're saying that they're learning from their lessons that they learned in the last year, giving me a bigger buffer between when you say something's going to be coming out and when you when it is actually going to be coming out is not something they're doing like they said they wanted next gen copies to come out 2021 we're in september of 2021 we still haven't heard a good idea of how close they are so just tell me that it'll be 2022 and i won't think about it right so in my experience when this when i was working for a a very large startup and that's a sounds like a contradictory but it was a startup that had raised millions and millions of dollars and was working on a very large product um when there was conflicting information uh being messaged out to the public and to shareholders and these kinds of things it was often because there was uh very unclear lines delineating who was actually in charge of messaging so um for example marketing would say here's a message and then sales would then follow up and say here's a message and it would go against the thing marketing said because sales wanted to put forward a message that was more optimistic than what marketing was saying because they were trying to push forward something that was going to benefit sales but marketing is the one that was actually pushing pushing forward something that was more realistic because they were they were marketing and they needed to hit certain standards and sales was going no we're just going to promise whatever we want because we need to land sales right and i'm not saying that this is specifically the situation that's happening here but it this echoes to me a situation where you have you don't have a clear delineation of who's actually in charge of what message gets put out and how that messaging is managed. You don't have somebody at the top saying, this is the message we're going to follow through with this and nothing is going to counteract this and we're going to stick to this. And this is how it's going to go from this point on. Well, this, this feels like the, the exact opposite, honestly, because I'm sitting here reading this and this is the senior vice president of business development not the producer i want to talk to the game producer i want to talk to the game director about where they realistically feel these projects are in their life span i don't want to talk to a business guy i don't want to talk to a a mid-level senior vice president i want to find out from the people who are actually building the game where they're at with this because they're the ones that have a, a, a clearer idea of where the project is at its state and hearing from the senior vice president of business development i don't think this guy knows how to code i don't think he knows how to work in jira i don't think he has any idea of where the project stands for their next gen consoles and if that's the case 
he's the last person I'm going to trust to give me a clear answer on where they think this is going to land. And right. he can tell his stockholders whatever they want. But I hate that that is something that gets reported on because if we hadn't had this investor call, we would still think that it'd be coming out in 2021, but we wouldn't have this reaffirmation that they want to hit that target. That's great that they want to hit that target. I want them to hit that target. I don't think they're going to hit that target. And I don't think they actually think they're going to hit that target. Right. Right. And so we're getting like mixed messages of like, well, we want to hit this, but we may not hit this, but like, just, just tell us. Yeah. Just tell us, tell us reasonably where you're going to hit. Right. Like what, what is, what is actually going to happen? What is reasonable yeah. here? Um, and so, yeah, anyway, we can dwell I, I on this wanted, for a while. Yeah, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I just wanted to let folks who are listening know that you may see some reports out there that they're looking to target 2021 for the next gen versions. Don't take that with any kind of certainty. Take it with a, a very small grain of salt. Plan on it being out summer 2022, spring earliest, because I, I genuinely don't think that we're going to see these next gen consoles. Saber Interactive is a different story. I will say that the Saber Interactive company can do ports and they can do next gen things. They actually have a better understanding of how to get that done. So if Saber Interactive is doing the thing for Witcher 3, I do believe that. But I don't know that I would go so far as to think that this is going to be a huge uh, update for next gen consoles for Witcher 3. I think we'll see probably better resolution and better frame rate with a couple yeah. options in there. Yeah. But I, I don't expect it to be like a huge overhaul. And and it's an older game. I mean it's yeah. it's an older engine. It's it's been established. A lot of the bugs have already been worked out. It's it's a much I'm sure it's a much smaller project than yeah. something like, you know, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, which is clearly still, as they say, in development. So <laughs> Yes. Um, so this is fun. Yeah. This is fun on a similar topic here. They there's a uh, a chart here uh, gradually redirecting our development staff to new projects. This came out recently oh, yeah. and um, it shows different dates. This is uh, December. This is the end of last year and shows that uh, and there aren't specific percentages here, but it shows the percentage of the developers who were working on support for uh, 2077 plus the next gen version then it was clearly above 50 percent and then some of the developers working on gwent some of the developers working on spaco i don't know what spaco is do you know what spaco is not offhand it looks That's like a, a really strange a very small percentage uh so the cyberpunk I'll see if I can look it up. expansion one and then other projects so um this looks to be i would say about 60 something percent of the developers at, as of the end of the year were working on cyberpunk 2077 and next gen version and then gwent was another 15 percent and then the the other 25 percent ish were these other things with another 15 eh, percent ish on the cyberpunk expansion one as of the middle of this year th that changed this was the end of june and at the end of June, Cyberpunk 2077 plus next gen version was down to about, I think this looks like roughly 40%, 40, 45%. And the percentage of the, the staff, the uh, developers that were working on the Cyberpunk expansion one looks like it had increased by an extra 10 to 15%. So the other percentages on the, some of the other things seemed very similar. So they've shifted some of the staff over. So 
hopefully yeah. that means that they're you know closing up work on this and moving on to the expansions but again it's development you don't know you, you don't know until you actually test out the stuff that you've worked on and you make sure that it actually works and everything's good um so we're just gonna have to have to see but that also flows into the next news that we have in that and i think we should give ourselves a pat on the back for this one because I'm pretty <laughs> sure we brought this up about eight months ago and we even gave some advice and we said, hey, there's a whole community of modders out there who learn this stuff really well. They're able to mod engines. They are able to create new content and they do it very well. And it turns out that there was an announcement that CD Projekt Red is now bringing on some of the modding community to actually work on some new content for uh, cyberpunk 2077 so congratulations to some of the modding community if you guys are have been hired out for this and also to cd project red for taking some of our advice that's amazing congratulations because uh, some of these modders out here are, are extremely talented and i i think that's super exciting with it whenever anyone from the community is getting legitimate jobs because they've shown that they can do the work and they're creative and they're talented and they're actually getting hired by some of these teams. So I think that's awesome news. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah. It's, it's nice that they're, they're looking to the community to help out with this because it's, it's clear that they've had enough time with the game and that they've played around in that engine well enough to be able to implement some of the changes, which if we're looking at a lot of big games, uh, plenty of studios usually outsource to either get assets or cinematics, things like that online. And it's not unheard of uh, for them to pull in modders who are familiar enough with the engine to be able to write fixes for things that can be, be implemented without completely damaging you know, the infrastructure of the actual code. So it's it's just nice to, nice to see that CDPR is going to be uh, taking a, a development company who's run by a couple of the modders called Yigsoft. Uh, they are going to be working with them both on CDPR, but as well as a couple other projects as well. So uh, thanks to to Jared Moore for grabbing some of the uh, the information that I found on that and writing it up for me. Um, but yeah, it's it's the thing that we wanted, right? It's it's you know CDPR doing the thing that we're asking and it's nice because if if anyone was going to help out this game it was going to be the community either through giving them our feedback as far as what we'd like to see or the actual modders getting in there and helping push some of the changes that they know that they want to do but they've been so busy trying to work on the stability of the game that they haven't had the opportunity to implement some of the features that the community has wanted Meanwhile, the, the community has taken upon themselves to actually make these features. So if they've already done it, why not hire them to come in house and actually do it with the game proper and actually bake it into the actual game? Absolutely. So, yeah, congratulations. And uh, I think that's an awesome idea. You, the more the more they hire on people who love cyberpunk, the world of cyberpunk, the game, I, I think in the long run that really only benefits everybody yeah because that's uh, that's how you do it like there are people who will do a job because you're paying them to do a job but the people who will do a job because you're paying them and because they love it are ultimately going to do better work and in the long run that's going to benefit everyone so that's awesome yeah. so um, okay I'm 
I'm also hoping that the modders won't be able to, will be able to actually step up to say like the producers and say, Hey, you haven't really been enabling your team to do the thing that they need to do. That is going to fix these issues. These are the things that uh, we run into as far as issues with the mods that we've been building. So hopefully they'll be able to take their knowledge and give it to CDPR and say, Hey, you need to fix these tools to give your modders uh, more access to the actual files and stuff, uh, the actual creation aspect or build the tools up so that if they do want to add things like reputations and gangs and garages and, and uh, shaders for cars, things like that, that the modders will have better tools to be able to do that on their side and just kind of help kind of build up the game uh, with the help of the modders as well. Yeah, some more insight to that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. Well, let's move on to the middle of the show so we can come back and talk about uh, some movie stuff because we've got some cool things to talk about with Blade Runner 2049. So here we go. Hey, Simone. Yes, Chad. What would you say is your favorite bad movie? Oh, where would I start? But probably at Zombie Strippers. Oh yeah, which we've actually done on our podcast, Fresh Tomatoes, the movie podcast. This is a podcast where we take some of the worst movies ever created, and even some of those movies that you might have thought were brilliant, but still got a bad critic score, and we say nice things about them, because you know what? Someone put the effort in, so we're gonna be there, fighting in their corner. Absolutely, Chad. Even if the movie was total garbage, there are some makeup artists that gave it their all, and we're here to recognize that. Exactly. And with really fun themes every week, such as National Treasure Week, Weddings Week, uh, movies with Jeremy Irons and dragons in them, how could you go wrong by joining us every Tuesday and Thursday for some optimism in your life? And like we say at the end of every episode, we love you and there's nothing you can do about it. We love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Goodbye. All right. So this is the part of the show where we get to thank our patrons for being awesome. But also, Logan, I think I'm going to start shaking up the Patreon a little bit. It's been a while. It's been mm-hmm. kind of the same for a while. I've started an experiment with some of the other Patreons, the Fallout Lorecast and the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, where, you know what, I've decided, just like with the Cyberpunk Lorecast, we've got a bunch of patrons, patrons who have been loyal for a long time, and Patreon gives you the ability to add merch to Patreon. So I took some time and it designed some really freaking, what I think are some really freaking awesome looking t-shirts and stickers. So nice. I did that for I started with with Fallout and Elder Scrolls and guess what's next on my list? Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. I haven't done it yet. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I need to I need to carve out some time this week, maybe next week. I'm gonna start working on it. That's gonna be on my agenda soon. So the way this nice. works is if you are a current patron and you are currently in the upgraded section then you're not going to have to spend any extra money. And so $25 patrons, you're just going to be in the section where you're just going to get t-shirts. All of a sudden you'll start getting t-shirts. So if you stay subbed at that level, t-shirts will just start showing up. You'll get some awesome looking cyberpunk, <laughs> cyberpunk lore, lore cast t-shirts. It's just for being a patron and for being so awesome. So congratulations. 
Thank you for being here. Um, I'll probably add some extra tiers for things like stickers. Maybe I'll do mugs or something like that. I don't know. They've got a few different options. Who knows? Maybe I could even do like a, a extra high higher tier and do like hoodies. What if I did hoodies? You want a hoodie? Winter's coming. Yeah. Winter's coming. You can totally, totally do some hoodies for winter. Do like a hoodie. But the designs that I was doing for um, some of these other Patreons are kind of very minimalist. Uh, like think of it like symbols like i can take like oh so i've got currently i have the um uh have a shirt on right now this is the uh oh crap what's their name the um <laughs> trauma team trauma team i was thinking med tech but i'm like not med tech why, why am i thinking med tech what is that trauma team so the trauma team symbol here right but like the trauma team symbol on my shirt is all just red right but what I did with the other Patreons is I took the symbols and it's just like the blown up symbol on a shirt, but instead of it being a single color, it's actually a texture in the symbol. So for example, like on, on fallout, it's the brotherhood of steel symbol, but that symbol is made out of like a really weathered looking steel, like a really high quality weathered steel. Mm. And so it looks really cool textured inside the symbol. So it's a really cool looking, like stylized minimalist but very cool high quality looking texture so i'm thinking about doing something very similar like that with the logo kind of built into the design so it's the kind of thing that anybody could wear looks really kind of cool and classy very cyberpunk still nice. but maybe i'll do something a little bit more neon a little bit more cyberpunky kind of thing yeah, i was i was thinking that it'd be cool if it was done in like uh neon tubes I don't know how hard that would be, though. Yeah, I'll have to flex some of my design. I'm not a designer, but I've been in and around. I've worked in and around designers for a long time. So I'll have to see what I can do when it comes to, like, really flexing my design chops to make something like this work. But um, I'll be messing Sweet. with it. And, uh, you know, stay tuned for a future episode for some updates. Um, and if there's if there's if you have some cool ideas for some stuff or some examples of some things that maybe I could pull some inspiration from, please send them my way. Um, or some other patron patreons or things that you're just like oh these guys do some really cool stuff maybe you could do something like this anything you can send me for inspiration i will pull from that and if you have some ideas for even other tiers because we only have two tiers right now there's the kind of pay pay we want tier and then there's the upgraded tier so maybe a middle tier between the two and then maybe a like a bigger upgraded tier with some really cool stuff like i don't know if i can do jackets or you know even just hoodies or long sleeve shirts or something, something else I could even do because there's like a loyalty thing. I could even do like increasing uh, stuff over time. So the longer mm -hmm. you stay as a patron, you get better stuff as it goes on. Like maybe I could do something like that. Um, so there's, cool. yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff we could do. So I was thinking, you know what? You guys have been awesome. I should throw some extra stuff in there and you know, who knows? Figure it out. So anyway, awesome. thank you to all of our patrons. You guys are awesome. Again, I couldn't do this without you guys. You guys are amazing. So thanks for being here. All right, let's go talk about some Blade Runner. Here we go. Dude, what if I did like Johnny's guitar in like neon? Dude, that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. You do Johnny's arm if you wanted. Oh yeah, like Johnny's arm, like a like a uh, like a just his arm, kind of looking at the side, but it's got like got a thumb, thumbs up, thumbs up. Yeah. He's like flicking you off. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, middle finger too. 
<laughs> Johnny just Johnny's arm just giving you the middle middle finger. I can see it. Middle, or just his glasses like <laughs> crooked on his face. I don't I don't think I can do his face because it's freaking Keanu Reeves. I'd get sued sued for that. But um, <laughs> um. So anyway, let's talk. Let's talk Blade Runner. Okay, we've been talking. We've been talking movies. Um, there's a few different places we can start with this one. We talked the first Blade Runner. It's an old film. We, we went into that one. If you didn't listen to that episode, go back and listen. Actually, there were two episodes about the original Blade Runner. We kind of did our own thing, and then we came together and we talked about it. Blade Runner 2049. It's interesting. I had a very different experience watching this a second time after having rewatched Blade Runner 1, the first mm-hmm. one, uh, than I did the first time I watched it because it had been so long since I watched the first one. Mm. And I, I feel like we're, we're kind of missing the 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 big cliffhanger that we had a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. where you pose the question ah. <laughs> is 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 blade runner 2049 better than blade runner i did i did but here's the other thing is i also watched it with my wife mm-hmm. who's never seen the first blade runner i asked her if she wanted to see it and she was like no i'll just watch this one <laughs> mm, she gotcha. sometimes she just like watches a movie because she's being nice you know yeah um and she enjoyed it she thought it was cool um she thought it was good uh okay well, let's by the end of the episode i think we should answer the question if this is the better movie or not okay and and it can and it it can be definitively the better movie but it could also be the better movie in certain aspects or not right like yeah. we could say like it's a better story or the acting is better or the cinematography is like we can go into specifics if we want to um but here, here's some things that I noticed, and maybe there's some things that you noticed. Why don't we go into some details here? We don't have to recount the whole plot because I think, by the way, spoilers, if you haven't seen the movie, spoilers. Yeah, yeah. Some things, some things that come to mind when watching this movie. One, in a way, it is the inverse of the first film. Okay. In that you have a human coming into understanding of what it means to be a human learning to understand that the um i want to call them synths because that's what they're called in fallout but they're um the replicants the replicants can be persons and that they deserve to be treated as if they're people Hmm. what human are you talking about deckard because he falls in love with one gotcha right you have a human who is hunting them down. His job yeah. is to hunt them down and retire them and kill them. And through the course of, of the film comes to learn to fall basically falls in love with one. Mm-hmm. And then in the second film, we learn that not only do they fall in love, but they created a child and then they had to figure out how to keep that child alive. And in the second film, you have a replicant who is designed uh, in a way that's supposed to be superior to the original replicants in that they're, yeah. they're not supposed to be able to malfunction in that way, coming to terms with what it means to be a replicant who is not supposed to be able to mal- malfunction going against its code. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you have basically a human going against the, its human code and understanding that a replicant can be a person. And now in this one, you have a replicant going against its code and learning that it can trust a human and and go and and be more than its programming 
Yeah. In order to fight for the miracle that the other replicants are fighting for the original, the OG replicants are fighting for. It's and even with, uh, so with K it's, it's weird because he, he's lived his whole life up until this point, believing that he is exactly what he is. But then he starts to question if it's possible for him to be more right. And right through that, through that, he starts to find, uh, a sense of empathy for others. And it's right. And it's, uh, it's actually appraisal that he gets whenever he goes through different trials as he's, as he's working as a blade runner. And he comes out at the end of each one completely like nullified to any emotion. You know, he goes through all those baseline tests and every single time he's constantly like perfect. You know, they, they de- dependable K I think was his nickname. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, and it's like, or it, it, it's interesting that he finally gets shaken up by the idea that he could be a born child. Right. It's the idea. And, it's the one, the one idea that there is, that the world is broken in a way that he never expo- expected to possibly be. And that that also could be him mm-hmm. broke him in a way that made him go. That could be me. And therefore it, anything's possible. He had to find out. So I had it, to, it, he had to find out which that compelled that compulsion compelled to, to try and, and then yeah. all of a sudden he was off the charts. Like the, he did the test. He was off the charts. He was, he was having emotions. He was, he was, he was capable of being a person. He was, he was like, and he, and he always was. And that's the thing is that I think he always was, he needed a companion. He had an AI companion, not because he was programmed to seek companionship, was because he was always a person who needed companionship. He, when, when, uh, the director, the police director would make, make the little comments like, oh, well, you know, you don't need to worry about that because you don't have a soul anyway. Yeah. And he pauses and doesn't respond. And he's got that, that look in his eyes. It's because it it always felt like resignation to me whenever I see him. It's because he's moment. Yeah. It's because he's going like, there's, there's a part of him that's processing that going, or maybe I do, or maybe, always, or see, maybe you don't, like or that. maybe you don't either, or maybe that doesn't matter. See, I never, I never took that, that, uh, perspective from it. For me, it was always the reminder that you're nothing special. And throughout the whole film, he's constantly being told by joy that he's special. And as he's kind of digging deeper into this, into this, uh, this case that he's working on, he starts to question if he actually is special and it's always, he's always being told that he's not special. And then he has a small glimmer of hope that he actually could be only to realize that at the end of the day, he's actually not, but he can still be impactful even though he's not special. But isn't, isn't that what he gen, isn't in that way he realized like isn't that the realization in the end that it's through his actions it's his actions that make him special regardless of his origin i think by the end of the film he gets that gets to that point but i, right. I definitely feel like he wanted to feel like at, at a certain point he got to a stage where he started to question whether or not he actually was the the special child and he wanted to believe that that was something that he was 
up until the point where he realized that it wasn't about him. Mm-hmm. And then I think he realized he was so far into the the case that he was working that he had to follow. He had to kind of see it through to its end. He had to help Deckard find his child because uh, you you basically learn that during this time, uh, Deckard and Rachel were on the run. They had a kid. Right. They stowed the kid away uh, and and hid them very well, so that there was no chance that the the child would be found because they feared what would happen as as a result of a replicant being able to reproduce something that Wallace, who has control over Tyrell's uh, company after bankruptcy, mm. that they he's been trying to find a way to reproduce or, or to reproduce replicants because the the amount of replicants that he requires to be able to continue to spread out through the through the galaxy through the solar system has been inefficient and he can't produce re- replicants fast enough but he knows that if he can harness the ability to have replicants reproduce on their own then he will have become god to right. him right Right. Which is a whole, whole nother subplot that we haven't even touched on yet. Right. Yeah. So what, so what do you think Kay's motivation is? You think his motivation by the end of the film is to simply carry through with the case? Do you think it's to stop Wallace? Do you think it's just to kick the freaking girl's butt? Do you think it's to help Decker? Do you think it's, I think, I think at the start of it, I think that Kay is trying to uncover what's going on with this mystery. And as he does. Right. And it becomes uh, very personal because he wants to figure out what's if it's actually him. Exactly. Or not. And then once yeah, he realizes it's not him. That's when it, I feel like he's he's built the connections and he's he's seen he's seen what people can do. And, and it goes back to the very beginning of the film where he's talking to uh, the oh, I just blinked on his name. Um but the the guy at the beginning the replicant that he retires and uh that that sentence that always echoes through Kay's mind as he's going through the story where he's he's constantly talking about it's because you've never witnessed a miracle right you know you you're 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 satisfied with your life of being a slave because you've never seen something as beautiful as life and it's at that point that Kay is is starting to question, you know, his validity in this world. Like, does he deserve more? Does he not deserve more? Is he doing exactly what he needs to be? And at a certain point, he realizes that he's so close to a miracle that he's almost compelled to see it out. Because at the end of the day, while he may not be the child of, of Rachel and Deckard, he knows who that child is. And he wants to feel like Deckard has some sort of, uh, you know, De- Deckard never got to see his child and he just wants Deckard to have some sort of peace and, and to reunite them. And it's one of those, that's not fair. <laughs> My wife just made me cookies. So you <laughs> think, totally you think fair. he cares. So by the end, he cares about, about them. I think he cares about the, the connection that he had, or that, that people have that intrinsic love i think there were a couple lines in the last baseline test that he did before he went rogue Mm -hmm. uh that he paused on and each one of those lines the interweaving hands the those yeah Yeah. and i and i think those are integral because they they totally they totally show that if he was being the uh the the replicant that he was hired to be you know he was following his job he wasn't getting connected he wasn't getting attached 
he wasn't showing empathy, mm-hmm. then he would he would process those lines and say the keyword at the very end. And at at this point, he stumbles on those because he feels something and right. it causes pause. Right. And at that point, he's no longer on his baseline for for those uh, PTSD tests. Yep, I, I agree. I, I think I think you're absolutely on it. Like he he feels a thing, and he feel he then feels for Decker. He feels for um, the child. He yeah. he um, he shows empathy. He he. Uh, it's at that moment he he is genuinely a person. He is. He like, and and, and in that in that in that moment he is willing like it's the reason why in the final conflict in the final fight he gets he gets mortally wounded yeah and i would i would say pretty much guaranteed he's willing to die yeah well he's he's willing to die he gets mortally wounded and the scene turns on that on that moment she returns to the car to make sure that deckard is taken in or dies or whatever and lo and behold, he drags himself through the water, which I'm sure is extremely painful at this point, to make sure that she is dead. <laughs> and yeah. he and he tries to, to and, and to try to still save Deckard, even even though it like he very well could have just slumped over in the water right there and just bled out. Like he forces himself to carry forward in that moment. Yeah, he realizes still the driven. importance. He, he realizes the importance of what it is to keep the child a secret. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm curious, how, how did you feel about uh, Wallace and love being the, the creators of the world that they're in and uh, essentially being the bad guys in this, in this situation? Um, like, did you like them as villains? Did you like Blade Runner having a villain? Because at least with, the initial Blade Runner, Mm -hmm. it was Decker doing a job that he was told was the right job to do. Right. And realizing halfway through it that it was not cut and dry. It was not black and white, that there's some gray area that you have to explore. And if you don't explore that, then you're just going to be a cold-blooded killer without any respect. And if it's the one thing this movie showed was that replicants like K get zero respect from anyone. Right, right. In it's a constant barrage well, for him. Wallace, I think Wallace represents the. So one of the, having conversations with my wife, we went out to dinner tonight. We um, and I showed her the we've watched the first two episodes together of Altered Carbon. Mm-hmm. So which she's now seeing that and Cyberpunk twenty forty nine, and it was explained to her like one of the common themes in Cyberpunk is that the the world has, it's a. It's a like a post-apocalyptic world in a sense, but the apocalypse wasn't like bombs going off and destroying everything necessarily. The apocalypse is that the economies of the world have have basically turned against humanity and the corporations and the wealthy have taken over and everyone else has been just left in the dregs. That's the apocalypse. Like yeah. the majority of the people are left with crap and are living in the slums. And, and it's the, the haves who are the ones who are controlling everything. And this movie gives that a face. It gives us Wallace and Wallace is non-empathetic. There's no empathy there at all. 
No, he's he, a sociopath. He's a sociopath. And he shows us the extremes of humanity. He shows us humanity without empathy. He is he is humanity without empathy. He is the opposite of a synthetic human. Yeah. He is a human he's, who is no longer human. He's he's detached himself so much from what makes humanity humanity that right. he feels like he's on the verge of transcending uh to a godlike status. Exactly. Like life is life is his to to do what he ever what he wants with he can create rachel if he wants he can create uh everything except for reproduction it's the one thing that's eluding him and it's ironic that he's looking to do that with replicants because that is such an an interesting point in a lot of cyberpunk films where ai uh or replicants like in the first film replicants were striving to live beyond their seven years in mm -hmm. blade runner right and we learned in this film that they've learned from that and they've opened they they have uh what was it the replicants the the model eights i think were open-ended lifespans they could live out their lives however they wanted and it's so interesting that with like ai with replicants it's always about being able to leave something behind being able to leave a legacy to to reproduce is the the um, the human achievement that we've been able to appreciate and wallace is so calculating that that is the one thing that evades him this whole time he can do whatever he wants but he right. can't he can't force replicants to reproduce naturally and it drives it's him this, nuts it's this loop he is he is seeking to make replicants more human while he himself is becoming less human yeah he's it's, yeah it's the twist and 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 that's the thing is that without without a wallace in this movie we wouldn't get that we don't yeah. we don't see humans being less and less human while replicants are becoming more and more human because yeah. that's that's what this movie is about replicants giving birth to children replicants growing emotions even the even the newest models even k starting to question like he he is the representation of the like he is the poster child for does his job never breaks never breaks never breaks he breaks like even the poster child breaks and shows emotion shows empathy does the right thing in the end yeah cares do you think it's interesting that the first film focused so much on preservation of life and it was the Tyrell company who was trying to relegate that while the replicants were trying to break out of their mold and try and, and do the thing that that would make them considered on par with humans. And now that in 2049 replicants can feel have emotions, things like that, they're still not viewed as equals. But for whatever reason, Wallace is is hell bent on trying to get replicants to reproduce. Do you think that? his his machinations of of godlike desires are just that or do you think that it, in in that he also wants to have like this business venture uh that he's trying to get this to happen like do you i'm trying to think of a good way to to word this but it, i always think it's interesting that blade runner is constantly trying to preserve life and memories and have respect for that with the replicants but in this case life is meaningless to 
the the to Wallace, and he he's just looking to capitalize on the slave labor at this point. While on the opposite end, Deckard is trying to preserve life uh, through Rachel's child by staying away, and he's trying to preserve the the innocence that is uh, giving humans or replicants the ability to really kind of just create life and, and to cherish life. I don't know if I had a question in that. <laughs> I think you made a point, but yeah, I don't know if there's a question. I mean, that's no. interesting. Um, it's it's such a it's a weird it's a weird distinction between the two films that yeah. Deckard would start to care about replicants while the rest of the world cared less for the replicants. Yes, yes, um, yeah. I think I, I do think that's interesting. Um, I also think that one of the other things I noticed about the film is the um, the use of water. This is a, there's a common theme of water throughout the film. Yeah. Um, water, th- uh, clearly it shows up in the city. It's always raining. Uh, it's always misting and raining and, and foggy and cloudy. Um, in the, uh, in Wallace's compound, uh, pyramid, whatever you want to call it, there's the only natural design element in there is water and light or our water and light because there's no natural growth of anything there's no plants you can't put potted yeah. plants in the building there because they, they don't grow um so there's a there's a contrast between water light and geometric shapes in every room there's water light geometric shapes um the water casts uh natural shapes on the walls through the light reflecting off of it it's the you just had a Sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, because maybe you're going where I'm going. Go, go ahead. Well, I, I just had a, I had a really interesting thought about the room where uh, the room where Wallace interrogates Deckard to try and convince him to to divulge more information about how to get replicants to reproduce. Um, that room is clear of everything except for the small portion of of uh, a platform that they're sitting and talking on, and they're surrounded by that still water water itself is life-giving you have to have water to have life Mm -hmm. um but also there's this idea of wallace walking on something that is effectively the what looks like him walking on water you know he it's kind of a personification of him being jesus right i mean even his facial hair and yeah like yeah there's a lot of jesus he's wearing robes at the beginning there's a lot of uh, the first time you see him he's wearing he's wearing robes go ahead uh I, I was thinking about it too um i didn't think about it until now but you did bring up the point about the water too there's a scene right before uh k ventures out to go into uh he's he's like heading out and he he gets attacked by um some scavengers out in the wastes mm-hmm. and uh k or, or sorry love is trying to uh bombard the area to protect him from you know getting killed so that he can go out and find this child because she's trying to get the the child back for wallace right uh but the scene right before that it shows a bunch of water pouring out of this huge structure and i didn't think about it until you brought up the water but that is the turning point of the film where the floodgates open literally and figuratively yeah, literally and figurative yeah wa- water water is all throughout this uh the the climactic scene the most turbulent scene in the film the the vehicles crash on the shore with the water the waves cresting over and almost drowning 
Deckard and and Love in the in the vehicle, and then they fight in the vehicle. The water gives life, but also takes life away. Um, also, the the tides. It's a changing in the tides. Changing in the too. tides. The end film. The end of the film. It's snowing. The final scene is snowing, which is odd because I'm assuming they're still in the Los Angeles area. Yes. It never I think snows this, in Los Angeles. No, I, I and I think that the the snow represents uh change as well change as in season. And in uh, also snow tends to get connected to with purity. Purity, yep. Yep, because it's white. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So uh you know symbolism aside um i feel like i have to i feel like i have to ask does this do well enough of a of a story to fall in par with like blade runner in this case like as a cyberpunk film or 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 compared to blade runner how are we doing um well i I guess we're there we're kind of at the end of this whole whole discussion um okay so was there anything else you wanted to touch on as uh, far as the joy or uh like the the namings was interesting to me yeah, uh, the, as the far as like love and joy love and joy that yeah there's there's some of that there's the dog the fact that uh decker has a dog mm. um yeah. the, like the locations are interesting the the it, they take us out into the wastes all of the children that that whole yeah. stuff the, all of that going to las vegas um there's there's also, a lot we see a lot more of the world in this movie than we do in the first um blade yeah. runner film and the world is very interesting and well thought out, I think. Yeah. There's do a lot you of think, that. Do you think Kay's name, uh, like his nickname through the through the entire Joe uh, film is representative of his affirmation as a replicant? Like everything he has to do is obey uh, humans. So he's a K-man. Maybe. Um, I mean, she his his A.I. partner calls him Joe, right? Like, but yeah. she calls everyone Joe. She's programmed to call everyone Joe. That's what her model says. Mm-hmm. She, she has a quote that says something like, what do you, what do you, you know, what are you looking for, Joe? Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's she the average Joe. He's just a replicant, just like every other Joe out there. Right. Yeah. Except that he's not because he breaks the mold and goes and does something else. So there's the irony in that. Um, so there, there's a lot. There's uh, this film is dense with stuff. Mm-hmm. It goes a lot of places if if the film if there's a sin that this film commits it's almost too long yes okay that's it that's the only fault and on top of that and i think i think this is going to surprise you harrison ford's acting is really good in this (laughs) it is much better yeah He, he he actually he's like his and maybe maybe it's the director maybe maybe he just needs the right director but like his acting is really good in this. Like yeah. his acting is good. Um all of well, the characters the acting is great. Uh what's his face? He, um the the lead uh, actor uh what's his name? Oh, uh Ryan Reynolds? No. <laughs> not Ryan Reynolds. Budget Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> budget what's Ryan. his name? Oh my god. He said that last time too. I always go with Bri- budget Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> um shoot. It's Ryan something. Uh, Gosling, Ryan me. Gosling, Gosling, um, there we go. Ryan Gosling, uh, like his acting is great. I think that he does a really, really good job being like all of the acting is in his eyes up until like a very specific points in the film where he emotes. 
Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's really good with it. Like blue Valentine is a great movie. If you want to see him, uh, like act like an actual, like do a good job of acting. But yeah, this, this one, he did a, a really nice job. The, um, the, the scenes are very well done. The, uh, cinematography is, is well shot. Oh man. The cinematography it's is great. And, and from, from the standpoint of, the framing of, of scenes that, uh, you know, many, many of the scenes you could take a still and put it up on this on a, you know, as a picture in a room and you'd yeah. be, just be like, that's a beautiful picture. But not just that, but uh, you know, even from the beginning, the first scene where he walks into the um, the farmer's house and the way the the framing of the scene is set up where he comes in from the very left side of the room and enters into the room to, to the right and then. Um, it follows the farmer into the room and you can barely see him sitting on the left side of the room in the dark, you know, like the, the framing of some of the scenes and where the characters and, and, and just looking at them like there's certain reasons why you frame a scene and put a character in, say, the corner of the frame or those kinds of things happen a lot in this movie. It happens a lot in the first Blade Runner, too. There's reasons why you you skew a camera or like all of those kinds of things. There's a lot of that going on in this. That stuff works yeah. really well. Um panning the camera up at the end while he's laying on the stairs implies that he's dying. Um, yeah. All of that kind of stuff. All of that's done really, really well. I, I, the only sin the film, I, I think the only sin the film has is that it's just too long. It's a little slow, but the first one was slow, but it's not as slow as the first film. No. And I, I think that's a, I think that is the, the, the biggest issue that it has is that it wants you to chew on the scenery. And while that scenery yeah. is great, uh the the action belies the length of the film like the action in the in each scene that actually comes out is still fast and it still still looks and shows really well you know yeah um if anything i think i would have cut out some scenes where it's just there's too much setup for mm -hmm. some of the things that are going on like you you i i could skip forward about 30 seconds in each scene right and before i got to the next talkie bit you probably and, um, could have trimmed a good 30 minutes out of the film and it probably would have been better for it. Yeah. Keep, keep it close to 200 or two, two hours. Cause I think that's about as much as, as much time as was needed to tell the story that was there. Everything else was just looking at scenery, which was, was really cool. You know, if you're making an art film and you want to do that, but uh, if you're going to try and keep people interested in this story of, you know, divulging the truth of a, of a, a murder case or, or, you know, trying to have these two cat and mouse uh, chases go on, you know, there's a lot of time where stuff isn't happening and it, that's great if you want to build tension, but that tension never, never always paid off and it really ought to have. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it kind of treaded, it didn't quite tread into uh, a tense action film or suspense crime drama it kind of it, it didn't quite know where it was going between the, that those things and like art chew on the scenery thing it kind of stayed too far in the middle between all of those things without yeah. really choosing which of those things it was committing to um yeah but the first one kind of did that too so i get why they did it i think that a modern film probably needs to stick more with one of those out of the three um, yeah, go go harder into noir if you're going to do that and, and really lean into it. Right. But if without like if you if you like, but that's a film problem, right? 
like that that's just a like well they could have done a better job wrapping it up as a film and editing it together as a film as a story i think that it's a better story than the first blade runner i think it's a it's a more intricately tied together story i think it's got better symbolism i think it's a more interesting question I think it shows you more of the world. I think some of the characters are actually more interesting. I think the acting is better. I think the acting is way better in regards to some of the characters. <laughs> so this all kind of comes with a caveat though, because it is a sequel. Um, it's, it's building off of the characters and the information that we have from the prior film. If it wasn't, we wouldn't have had that big, big bit in the beginning that was trying to explain what the first film was about uh and what has happened since then so right. you know going into this you're you're kind of going into the understanding that there's already been a story established and if that story wasn't good then this wouldn't be able to build so well off of it i guess um but i i still enjoyed this a lot not remembering much about the first blade runner when i first saw this movie because mm-hmm. it had been 15 years and I saw the first Blade Runner in college and just didn't remember a whole lot about it. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that, okay, so in, in regards to, to what you were saying, yeah, this film looks better, the acting's better, uh, even though I'm not a fan of Jared Leto. Um, I, I, I think, think Jared Leto's a total weirdo. He is a very weird guy. But uh, you, put him, you make him act as a weird guy and it works. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. <laughs> um, so I... like the acting's really good love really does her job well she does exactly what what she's intended to do um there are some ancillary characters that really didn't get fleshed out but you see that with uh other things as far as it being a cyberpunk film i think this exemplifies like what you would expect out of a cyberpunk film called blade runner in the future uh so i think they they definitely nailed the themes and in story there um the story is it's an interesting play because it it does do a good job of taking a character that you don't know that everyone can walk through the story with and and find out what's going on and you're learning things as soon as k is learning things and that's important to keep people interested in what's going on so i think it does a good job story-wise of that um i think where i have trouble is some of the 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 convoluted nature of what the replicants are we we hear stories about how some can live for as long as they want all of them can you know some of them are are bound as slaves to go work at in in places but you don't hear about them yeah some are street workers that are very self-aware of what they are and what their what their job is but they don't have to obey humans because they can obviously work how they want but some are you know deterministic and and some do just work for like the police force and have to do what humans say and can't lie. It's weird that that they've introduced different rules to the replicants compared to the first film, which, you know, they're going to have to do stuff like that if they want to follow a replicant and have it be interesting as opposed to, you know, just following a robot going around trying to murder stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's a different story if you if you do that, you know, you'd be it'd be like Terminator, but following the Terminator going after everyone. Um so I, I still struggle with it being a better film than the original Blade Runner. And, and that's with, with the understanding that 
so much of it is that it lingers that the the acting isn't as good as it could be but i think that the the story of a human recognizing that nothing is black and white and being accepted uh, of replicants in in the end while you know recognizing that there's a whole different world that is being opened up to him i think is a, a better story than trying to track down the child of a replicant and a human and protecting them from being ex or being um exposed no being exploited by a company even though that does sound very cyberpunk so i don't know I'm well, kind I mean, of conflicted. And, and his his story is the it's the coming to awareness of his own humanity it's a replicant that's true learning that yeah. he is more than just a replicant but you know i mean the first story is more foundational to humanity so it makes sense that more people would find that story appealing because it's about humans the second story is about a replicant yeah and we're not replicants so it makes sense that that's more appealing um so here we, we've got to wrap it up but you you want to find something you want to see something interesting here so yeah. uh the imd imdb ratings for these movies what do you think the IMDb rating for Blade Runner is out of 10 stars averaged across 719,000 users? I it's just this is I, for fun. Take a guess. What do you think it is? I'm going to say 8.6. You're very close. 8.1. Okay. A pretty good score. I mean, that's solid, solid score. Yeah. So uh, arithmetic mean of 8.1 median eight. What do you think mm. the uh, uh, average for Blade Runner 2049 is? I'm going to say 7.6. 8.0. Oh, really? They are Interesting. one off from each other. Arithmetic mean of point of 7.9, median 8. They have the same median. They have a mean difference of 0.2. So they're very mm. close. Um, Blade Runner gets more 10s, but I think that's pretty common among movies that are considered classics. People in so, retrospect are more likely to give things perfect scores. We we have the benefit of watching Blade Runner uh, post director's cut. Like we've got multiple versions of Blade Runner. Right. Do you think if do you think if they went back and did a director's cut of Blade Runner twenty forty nine that it would take care of the one main? Because I, I honestly I tend to agree with you that outside of the the film's length i think the film does a really really good job um there's like a couple mm -hmm. of storylines where i'm like that was kind of dull and i think they sure. could probably cut that out sure. but do you think a director's cut would would make this film way way better than potentially. the original then potentially here's something else that that's interesting um people who are aged 45 plus give blade runner an average of um 8.5 so they're well above the average People mm -hmm. who are 45 plus give uh, 2049 an average of 7.7. .7, so they're below the average people who are aged uh, 18 to 29 give Blade Runner, the first one, an 8.0, but give 2049 an 8.2. Mm -hmm. So Blade Runner skews significantly higher with age. So I think people who saw the original Blade Runner when it came out skew it higher than the new film do you think that 
what that is and and i don't i'm not trying to to lay ageism in at the at the feet of of what's going on here but i'm i'm wondering if part of it is the nostalgia of the era that blade runner was came out uh Maybe. versus the the acceptance and and cg of the newer one like younger generations Maybe. accept cg better versus older generations appreciating well older or the film when it came out well maybe uh one thing to note here is that the younger people don't vote the the older film lower the same way oh because that's where i i think that the younger generations are viewing it and appreciating it for what it is but appreciate the the aesthetics and the the design or the cinematography of the newer one better. yeah the younger people vote both of them very similarly yeah they vote the newer one slightly higher the older people vote the old one significantly higher and the the newer one significantly lower i think this also might be um you know rose tinted glasses this is like exactly. we tend to think when the things that we fell in love with in our teens and our 20s tend to tend to only get better with age yeah um so you know imdb's only been around for the last 20 years so these people weren't rating this film back in 1982 or you know something like that they they were rating this in the last 10 years most likely so um so that that might be part of it as well so it's just interesting to look at stats and try to figure out what does this mean i think i think blade runner 2049 has a clear vision of what it wanted to be and Mm -hmm. i think blade runner itself uh, was suffering from trying to make a futuristic film without understanding what the trajectory of technology would have had on society. Yeah, yeah. I think and I think they're both good films. I think they're just good films in different ways. I yeah. think to, to sum it up, I think I think twenty forty nine has a better script. I think it's actually better written. Mm. I, let me let me rephrase that. It's a more complex more interesting script blade runner is more simple and more streamlined oh that's see i disagree i think that the deckard going out and being a cop trying to retire these replicants and these replicants trying to meet their maker to live longer is a very straightforward storyline it that's, is that's very I'm, simple I, I, that's what i'm saying it's very simple oh, okay the original blade okay. runner is very simple the new one is it was way more complex but the the pieces all tie together very interestingly yeah and i find that more compelling i i would rather watch that i don't it, okay. t- me me today i want more complex more interesting stories than more simple stories but i can see why that simple story is is easier to digest and, and more memorable well i see that's where i feel like the so like the the additional storylines in 2049 i think tend to become more superfluous to to the the point of the film i think the point of the film if you would cut out the desire to have wallace hunting down this child i think you could have still had a really good film because it still would have been a cop going out trying to solve a case but instead of trying to retire uh the replicants and the child you would come to realize the story behind it and then meet up with Deckard and then bring Deckard to there. And then you, you bring Kay back to uh, the, the, the station to talk to Madam and the line that he says where it's done, that would be the end of the film. And he would have the knowledge of what's 
happened with Kay and his child, mm-hmm. he would be lying. So he'd be breaking his uh, mm-hmm. programming as a replicant and growing as a person. Yeah, but you and don't you get can, the you don't get the self sacrifice for it. Yeah, I don't think you need the self sacrifice for it, though. I think that the, that, the I think that's the thing those, that truly makes him human. Mm, I think that's the I mean, final. That's the final straw. That's I the, think him 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 putting himself at risk. I think was enough. Was enough. I don't know that he needed to die for him to realize he was a human because Deckard. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that it, it it wasn't required for him to realize it, but I think it helped us know it's, I was, it's the thing I, that it's the thing that we as the audience go he really cared he cared enough to give his life to do the right thing it's the if anyone was the messiah in the situation it wasn't wallace it was Kay. yeah yeah i he's just don't one, know that the, he's the one who died I, for I, it. I, I would have watched it and if he had survived, I would have been okay with it too. Yeah, I, I think because. that's still a good story. I don't know that that's a bad story. I, I think you're right. I think you could have done that as well. And then we could have gotten a sequel with him. Yeah, because <laughs> it would have been more of like a it would have been more of like a wounded warrior story. Right. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Where he's he is now being hunted by replicants. or trying to find out like if if he was actually lying or not, and then it becomes that it turns it into a giant loop where he was out hunting a replicant who was lying about who they were and what was going on and whatnot. Yeah. And then at the end, he becomes that character. Right. Mm. Well, I'm running out of time. I got to do the Mass Effect Lorecast next. So yeah. we're going to have to table <laughs> the conversation. I would love to hear what you guys think about this conversation. I'm sure there are more people who agree with you that the first Mass, Mass Effect, the first, oh my God, Blade Runner is uh, the superior movie. Um, uh, you, I think it just got depends. got real close to turning me though. I think it just you depends got- on how you view it. You know, like... I agree. Are, are you saying it's a better movie? Are you saying it's a better story? Are you like, mm, depends on what you're looking for in a film. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of subjectivity in there. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Come join us on the robots radio discord. Let us know your thoughts on that. Shoot us messages over on Twitter. How can they reach you? Logan? Uh, you guys can hit me up on Twitter at C A P T underscore L O G U N captain or capped Logan on Twitter. And I'm over at, or at robots underscore radio. And of course you can send us messages over at cyberpunk lore. I believe it's just cyberpunk lore on Twitter. I don't know. It's, it's not in front of me right now, but you know, you'll find it. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta go. I gotta go do another show. I'll be back in 10 minutes with the mass effect lore cast. And thank you guys for hanging out with us and we'll see you very soon. Have a good rest of your week. See you guys later. Bye everybody. Stay safe in night city. Thanks for tuning in to the Cyberpunk Lorecast. This show is a part of the Robots Radio Network, smart podcasts for interesting people. If you'd like to help support the show, please tell a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in contact, please send an email to cyberpunklorecast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at cyberpunklore. Also, join the community on the Robots Radio Discord. The link is in the show notes. The music on the show was written and performed by The Midnight and was used with their permission. Go check them out at themidnightofficial.com. Until next time, stay safe in Night City. We'll talk to you later. You've been listening to a Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. 
Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Ahoy there, ye landlubbers. Avast, my name is Captain Logan, and I'll be your guide out on the Sea of Thieves. If you love the idea of stealing treasure, cutting down cursed skeletons, fighting off krakens, and raiding forts filled to the brim with shinies, then Sea of Thieves is the game for you. Join me each week as I dive into the news and bring back the nuggets of information that any sailor worth their weight in salt would desire. You don't have to be a pirate legend to gain access to my podcast. Just search for Keelhauled, a Sea of Thieves podcast in your podcast app of choice or head over to robotsradio.net or captainlogan.podbeam.com and get ready to set sail for adventure. My name is Brian Burton. It's been 26 years since the bombs fell. And since I've left the vault, I've been trying to rebuild. This isn't the Appalachia that I remember. There's so much more to everything going on. And I promise to find the answer. So if you're out there, if you're listening, just hone in on these coordinates. There's a place for you at the end. Omega. The Omega Broadcast Fallout Story is available on iTunes, Spotify, and many great podcasting sources. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Podcasts.